0: Good morning, Bethany North. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to Morning Worship Online. Uh, Today we start a new sermon series on the book of Job, Job embracing the mystery of God or embracing God's mystery. And our hope as leaders, as we've been preparing this sermon series over the next eight weeks, is that this would be a series that would impact you specifically for the questions that you carry about the nature of God, about life, about Our situation as a society, that we would we wouldn't be scared of the question during this season of what is God like and how do we follow Him, especially to those who have suffered grief or loss. Now, Job is tricky, and just when I want to read scripture, we're going to dive in. Today is really kind of an introductory message, but uh, in 25 years of Pastor Richard's ministry, is kind of the longest we go back on keeping track of sermon series. In 25 years, we've not done uh, the book of Job. We've taught almost every other book from the Old and New Testament at some time or the other, but we've never touched Job at Bethany. And, And it's specifically because for a lot of folks, we haven't known how to approach Job. Like how do we normalize the pain? How do we both hold intention that pain is real and also that God is good without one trying to overrun the other? So our hope as we dive in today, embracing the mystery of God, that this would be a profoundly personal series for us as a community as we do these two things. We say that life carries with it burdens and pain and sorrows and God is good and can be trusted. So towards that end, uh, let me pray and we'll dive in. Jesus, thanks for um, your scriptures. Thank you for this book. And God, we would ask as we open Job, that you would open us, that we would think more about the ways in which that we follow you, the ways in which we have gone through our own bumps and bruises and sorrows and griefs and loss. And God, would you allow our faith to increase even as we consider those things that at times makes it hard to believe in you? We love you. Thank you for this time together. In your name we pray, amen. So our scripture today is a kind of an odd place to begin. It it comes from the book of Job, uh, but instead of chapter one, verse one, we are starting at the end. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Our scripture is Job 42, verses one through six. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things, No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is that this obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely, says Job, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak and I'll question you and you shall answer me. Then Job said, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes." I'm gonna just pause there. That's our scripture reading today. And our title for our message is this, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. As you just heard, our scripture reading today was from the end of the book of Job. And this phrase, begin with the end in mind, is not from scripture. It's actually from an inspirational writer, Stephen Covey. And Stephen Covey, in his groundbreaking work towards productivity and mindset, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, coined this phrase, begin with the end in mind. It's his second habit for highly successful people. And Covey says, to begin with the end in mind uh, means to begin each day, task, or project with a clear vision of your desired direction and destination, and then, continue by flexing your proactive muscles to make things happen so Covey in his book seven habits of highly affected people his second habit begin with the end of mine Covey cautioned readers that without a clear end of where you want to end up it's like putting a ladder up the wrong wall you can quickly climb but arriving at a place that's not your desired outcome So his takeaway with beginning with the end in mind is for anyone wanting to do better work to write a personal mission statement and envision your end goal and work backwards to how you would accomplish those goals. Sound advice. What in the world does that have to do with the book of Job? Today, as I mentioned, we launched this eight-week series on Job. And instead of starting in chapter one, verse one, we're going to start at the end because if you can stay with me, if you can stay with us, we're starting here at the end because we want to point to where we're going in this series. That in this series, there are realizations to make about the challenge of being human, about God's faithfulness, about the point of faith being not about something we would see with certainty of like, oh, I'll never experience pain again, but I can trust and believe that which at times I fail to understand with my mind. And that faithfulness to God is ultimately is saying, God, I can still know you, even though many things in this world will ultimately be unknowable in my humanity. All of us desire for rationality, for control, for reason, but part of being human, and Job says this essentially, is that God can still be real, even if we don't know what's happening in the midst of a certain world grief, loss, situation. So that's the end. That's eight weeks from now. And during this series, we're going to do a deep dive on pain and suffering and relationships and hope and loss, all of that in the weeks ahead. Next week, I'll talk about Job 1 and 2. Like we're going to go back and be more conventional. We're not going to be popcorning all around if you want to be reading the book along with us. But um, we are starting with the end in mind because undergirding this series is our intent. Like, why are we teaching the book of Job in this time? Like, why are we approaching it? And it's this, it's because if there's something we've seen in the last two years, it's that faith is uh, difficult at times when life feels chaotic, For many of us, it's easier to believe in God on the sunny days, on the mountaintop experience, in the midst of relationship that's flourishing, the good job. Hey, it is in the routine that for a lot of us, obedience to God, church attendance. Hey, it's, you know, I can go with the flow. But when life gets disrupted, when the things that happen to us, the the things that cause us grief, and sorry, little griefs like oh, I got hurt and I can't play in this year's season of basketball or soccer, or big griefs like the pregnancy loss or the relationship that came undone or joblessness, any of these griefs, we we don't categorize them. They're all just a grief. It's in this disruption that our faith is kind of peeled back and our life is exposed. And now we're forced to live within the values that we profess. This was very personal to me, because our building uh, burned down. We weren't even going to be doing these pre-recorded services. We were going to be December 24th, worshiping in our new building. And, and then that day, December 8th, electrical fire blows out the windows, building, you know, totally standing, but totally lost, totally wrecked. And walking around and just saying, God, what are you doing here? Like I wasn't trying to create a business to make more money about myself, whatever. And I, we were going to create a worship facility for more people to hear about, God, what are you doing? It's a grief. I've grieved all month. I still, I'm still grieving the burning of that building. But it is in our pain and our suffering and our griefs that our values are exposed. If I can believe in God on the day of the unveiling of the new worship center, can I still believe in God when that same worship center never opens its doors? It's a challenge. It's not easy. Nothing I'm gonna say to you over the next eight weeks should feel easy. I think at times that's why we stay away from Job because we like easy. We like simple answers. We like when Jesus said a thing and a person got healed and it's, Man, it's a really uh, fruitful way to preach. Job is gonna ask us to slow down, to sit with the question. And in the end, I hope we've had a beautiful and honest and fascinating and challenging and a hopeful study in the book of Job, that we would, as God's people, wherever you're listening to this message, wherever you're driving in the car right now or sitting in your couch or sitting at work, you know, listening my hope is that you would know God in the middle of any situation and every circumstance. So towards that end, we're going to start at the end and then work backwards. And we are going to look today in this message here in the quick moments ahead about uh, just some background about Job first, an, an overview. And, and, and uh, then secondly, we're going to look at the end here from Job 42, what things are unknowable, from the book of Job, from our experiences, and then we're going to end with like what things are knowable. There's a there's a there's a theme today about knowing. Job pokes holes in what we can actually know about life. But there are some things that are unknowable from the scriptures that we're going to just kind of name today. And then there are some things that are knowable that are going to anchor us for the next eight weeks ahead. So let me dive in here. From the book of Job, life is unknowable. Pain happens. Job teaches throughout this book that pain happens and we won't always get a rational explanation. We love to know why something happens. It's an idol for many of us. If I can understand why something happens, I'll try to make sense uh, of the pain that exists. But many times for any of us that have suffered grief and loss, we don't get those answers about why the cancer diagnosis or why the loss. We just don't. And so in Job, the story that I'll be telling more of next week is that Job is a honest, righteous, good man. And Job 1 starts with a challenge where there is one, the Satan, the Satan, who says to God in Job 1, hey, that guy, Job, the only reason he follows you is because he's been blessed. He has a house full of kids. He has a thriving fields. He has livestock. He has everything. And the Satan, the Satan in the Hebrew, Satan says to God, if you strike all of that from Job, his he, he won't know you anymore. He won't follow you anymore. His belief is conditional. And in what is really hard to reconcile, we'll talk more about it next week and the weeks to follow, God accepts the wager. God accepts this concept from the Satan and allows Job to be tested. Now, for many, uh, that's like, okay, I need to sit with that. How does that impact what I think about when I think about God? Am I okay with that? We're gonna spend more time there next week. I'm just setting some context. And, and, and then through the book, Job suffers. His kids die, his fields burn up, his house falls down. Everything that made him successful withers up and dries up. In the face of that, Job displays confidence in God And then in his fatigue, he questions God. And then there's these four friends, three friends and another guy, but let's just use the number four, who much of the book are gonna challenge Job to say, you must have sinned. You might, like, God's not unfair. So whatever you did, don't do it again and say, sorry. And God will give you all the stuff back. And there's these long, lengthy conversations that as we study that in the weeks ahead, it's gonna set us up for how we talk about God when we're going through grief, how we talk about God when others are going through grief, what are our relationships look like in every season, particularly when we struggle. Like, there's some amazing conversations that that's coming to us. And then at the end, God answers Job. And then Job says in Job 42, oh, God, in your reply, I know now things at first I did not understand. Job is gonna make some realizations. Now, one thing I wanna say is, um, like, where do we get this idea that life is always fair and if we follow the rules, then only good things will happen to us. Certainly it's an American dream Thing and you know, it's kind of something our, our culture kind of lusts for or, or kind of presupposes, but it's also in the scriptures. The wisdom literature in the scriptures comes from Ecclesiastes and, uh, and Job and Proverbs. Now, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes likely written by the same person, by Solomon. And in, in Proverbs, there's these rules given. Like, if you live the good life, if you honor God and you take care of your relationships and you give back, it's a bit formulaic, it is, in Proverbs. Many of us love Proverbs. Man, it's like these little, like, you know, quotable pithy truths that if you do X, God will do Y. Like, that's where some of that faith concept that, like, only good things happen for the people of God. Now, Ecclesiastes is written with a different perspective entirely. Ecclesiastes says, life is mysterious. Like, eat your bread with gladness and drink your wine with joy, and like, live the days you have, because life is also mysterious, and life, like smoke, is here for a while and gone. It's a vapor. So there's a mystery in, in Ecclesiastes. And then Job says, in the, in the concept of Job, in the person of Job, Sometimes bad things happen to really great people. And at the end of Job, you're going to see that there's like these, like what his life is like before loss and after loss. You have to look at these three books together. That Job is almost the parable. Some scholars say he's a real person; some are not real. I don't actually want to spend too much time there. It's not that important for us. But the Bible says that Job exists. James says Job exists, so that's ah, good enough for me. But Job, in the in the parable of loss, in Ecclesiastes, in the teaching that life can be mysterious and questions, in Proverbs, in the in the in the truth that if you follow God, then there are some aspects of your life that will feel well ordered. All three of these things God has given us in the text to say, this is what wisdom looks like for people of God. But then the real question comes from the book of Job. How do I know God that you're good? How do I know that? Talked about today being like kind of this like theme or this aspect of knowing God, how do I know that you're good? When I watch, particularly next week when we'll unpack Job one more, when I watch this wager happen between Satan and God and then I watch a man who did nothing wrong be decimated for what feels like a heavenly chess match, that's a hard one for us, really hard. If it's not hard for you, I wanna challenge you. It should feel hard. You should say, God, how do I know you? This is what the book of Job will point us to that our knowing God is not based on the perfect outcome of circumstances. Because if it is, then when we suffer, when the building burns, and we can use that for a metaphor for anything in our life that feels unfair and a loss that we grieve over, if our faith is based on positive outcomes only, then when the fire happens, our faith burns too. And if there's one thing that I care a great deal about pastoring people that are listening to this message is that we have to believe in God even when the building burns. There's that opportunity. God won't force us to believe, but real belief is believing even before we can see the outcome we desire. This is what Kierkegaard calls the leap of faith. And for Kierkegaard, there is a idol and he comes out of the, you know, Kant, Emmanuel and kind of the, you know, the Kant and Emmanuel Kant, same person, but Emmanuel Kant and others that were, you know, kind of in the enlightenment kind of saying like, you can rational, you you can rationalize your way to God. There's reason for everything. And for Kierkegaard, he says, you know, at some point rationality and reason can become an idol. At some point you have to trust yourself to something that, which you can't believe without seeing. And that's what belief is. He calls it the leap of faith, the leap of faith. And so there's just this going to be this through line through that though we hunger for answers, that um, there is a challenge in this text about how do we know and how do we believe. I, I read this great book during the break um, by Kate Baller, a uh, professor at Duke Theological Seminary and the author of several books. And uh, she wrote this book, uh, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies that I've Loved. Every, uh, everything Happens for a Reason and her thesis when studying for her PhD was studying American prosperity gospel churches and the certainty they profess that if you give this amount and if you you know do certain things then God will always multiply your wealth and multiply your health and all these things and she had studied these churches around the country and then In her own life, she suffered through physical illness, at some point not being able to move her arms, and then infertility, and then later in the book, and I'm not ruining anything, but a stage four cancer diagnosis. And so she wrestles in this book with a faith in God in unknowable outcomes. And in the midst of her own personal suffering, people would say things to her that were really not helpful. They would say, I guess God needed an angel when in the face of death, or at least you don't have that kind of cancer. Or this one, which she said was one of the worst, everything happens for a reason. Now we want to believe that everything happens for a reason in a way of saying like, but God will still be good. But often for people that are suffering through something, when they hear this phrase, everything happens for a reason, uh, it can cause great harm. Bola writes this, she says, the only thing worse than saying everything happens for a reason is pretending that you know the reason. She says, I've had hundreds of people tell me the reason for my cancer because of my sin, because of my unfaithfulness, because God is fair, because God is unfair, because of my aversion to Brussels sprouts. I mean, no one is short of reason, she continues. So if people tell you this, make sure you're there when they go through their cruelest moments of their lives and you start offering your own reasons because when someone is drowning, listen to this, when someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason. That's tough. See, our faith is not built on reason. It's not, it's built on trust. And trust is not an easy thing to hold on to when you're hurting, ask Job. But as we'll look at in this series, you can still believe when you hurt. You won't always have a reason. You won't. So in this book, there are some things that are just going to be, and I'm going to move through this really quickly, but there's an aspect of a lot of things that we can't know. There are things that we cannot know because of our humanity. And that's just the way that God has made us. God, you know, Genesis 2, God has made us from dust. And what do we say at Ash Wednesday? We mark ourselves with ash. And to dust, we will return, or to ashes, we will return. Return. There is a mystery to being human. There is a mystery in our ashenness, and in this series, we want to, at a level, we want to embrace some of that mystery. We want to dive into some of the questions, even questions that don't even have easy answers. Because unless we wrestle with our ashedness or our fallenness or our dustiness, then we're clinging to some sort of idol of our own godliness. Now we have the power of God within us, but all of us are earthen vessels. Our lives are expiring from our first breath to the last. And so this book, because there's real loss that happens here, loss of life and and sickness and and, and frailty and then emotional uncertainty as Job kind of wrestles through all these things, but it's gonna cause us to ask really deep questions about our humanity. And ultimately, there's gonna be things that we'll have to realize through Job. There's an aspect of God that we don't know every answer. Like, I wanna be vulnerable with you because again, I've said it before, it's one of my few spiritual gifts. But when that fire burned, like, I, I was really hurting for a couple of days because I was hurting for our community. Like, again, there was not gonna be a picture of me on the wall. This wasn't about me, I don't, I don't think. I mean, I really wrestled. with God, like, this wasn't gonna be about me. So why am I grieving? It's because, God, it was gonna be about you. I was imagining baptisms in that space and worship services and youth events and, and being able to just be a bright light out of that building. And so I still don't have the reason for the fire, some offered reasons. Hey, at least it didn't burn down when there was a room full of people. I'm like, yeah, yeah, there was not a room full of people at two in the morning. I'm glad that didn't happen. Hey, at least you didn't already move in and have your first worship service and then it burned down because that would have been really traumatic. And I'm like, yeah, at least that, you know, we didn't get that one service at least, you know, people were trying to make sense of it. No judgment. If one of you made that comment I've made my own comments. We, in our asheness, we seek to make sense of things. That's who we are. But in the weeks of grief post fire, like I had this moment where I remember taking the trash out and standing in my driveway and I just said this to God. I said, God, I don't know why that fire happened. And then I said this, and I'm just being very vulnerable with you. God, I guess there are things about you I don't understand very much at all. Now I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to tell people about God. So questions aren't helpful, you know, like I'm supposed to have answers. I'm supposed to tell you exactly what that means and exactly where the hope is and exactly like answers fill churches. I don't have answers for everything. There is pieces of our humanity that we're going to have to just say, this one is not answerable. But if my trust and my faith is built on having every question answered, and every uh, tragedy being able to be easily explained, and every grief in my mind's eye being covered over because of the blood of Jesus, I'm not being very truthful to the human experience. And that's kind of where I want to wrap us up today, that there are things in our human experience that are knowable, that are helpful, that this series is going to be really challenging and beautiful. Because what this series is going to force us to realize is that there is a limit to being human that is not God. And if we can embrace, even as difficult as it sounds, I'm gonna say something difficult, please know I understand how difficult this statement is, but be patient as I say it. If we can embrace our limits, our limits can enable us to find meaning and peace and purpose as we walk through this life. Easier said than done. When I lose a baby, when buildings burn, when you lose whatever it is that you're carrying as a grief or a loss this season. So I don't say that trite. This is where we start with the end in mind. Because Job 42 6 says this in the NIV, and it's totally translated wrong. Job says, after hearing a response from God, he says, uh God, I know you can do all things, Job 42.2, and no purpose of you can be thwarted. I like that. Job said, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. I like that. And then he says in verse six, therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, One of the great gifts of being Bethany is there's a lot of really smart people, much smarter than me that are connected to our church. And one of these really beautiful, smart people, her name is Sarah Koenig. She is a doctor of Old Testament and she teaches at Seattle Pacific. And she came and spent a couple hours with our teaching team and she teaches Job. And she said, and and I almost quote her here, she says, this is a... This is a misinterpretation of the Hebrew in this language. And how you look at Job 42, 6 is how you look at the whole book. That the, 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 how the NIV has translated this word of I, I repent or I, I despise myself, it's not appropriate at all. Because later in the book, what Job will say, if you stay with us week by week, Job, or God will say of Job, Job spoke correctly of me. God will come into the story later in the story and affirm Job's long suffering and his ability to hold tension even with he doesn't understand. At the end, God's not mad at Job that Job's, like Job hasn't done anything wrong. So the point of this book isn't that it's bad to ask questions of God. The point of this book isn't like, let's give you a new formula so that you can somehow figure out the mystery. No, there's the, the, the point of this book is how do we believe in that which we don't always understand? How do we truly know God, and can we believe God is good even when things are hard? So, if Job forty-two six is Job, if his answer is like, "Now I hate myself," that's not actually true. No, the, there's a there's a Hebrew word, "emes," and I'm not saying it exactly right. But what Sarah said, and I really love this, she says we shouldn't translate it "I hate myself." We should translate it differently. That I retract these words. It's almost as after hearing from God, Job says, oh, I understand what it is to be human now. I I take back what I said, God, and I wanna sit in my own humanity, in, in my dust, in my ashes. God, in understanding more of you, I understand more of myself. Job doesn't hate himself at the end. We're not bad when we hurt. We're not bad when we ask questions. He's understanding his limitations of being human. He's understanding the gap between what he seeks for uncertainty and what he's had to live through. Or I love what the message does as a translation. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translated that Hebrew because again, when we read English, Job wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew. So these are different words that meant something different. So different interpretations are gonna do different treatments. But listen to what the message translation of Job 42.6 is. I admit says, Job, I once lived by rumors of you, and now I have it all firsthand from my eyes and my ears. I'm sorry, God, forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I'll never live again on crusts of hearsay, crumbs of rumor. This is the challenge of the series. Where are we seeking God? What does our faith in God look like when things start to crumble around us, when buildings burn, with loss of life, with cancer diagnosis, with ongoing COVID and on and on and on. This is your story. But I promise you, if you walk through this book with us, if you begin with the end in mind that something in this book is gonna teach us about our own humanity, about our own limits and about the goodness of God, then we will say these two things that almost feel paradoxical for a modern listener. Pain is real and God is good. And we will not apologize for either of these statements. And over the next seven weeks, we hope and plan to study this as a church together. I wanna just acknowledge that this is a hard series for people as we talk about loss and grief and pain. And if this is especially sensitive because something you're going through in your own life right now, I just wanna pray over you just a blessing and an encouragement that we love you, we're with you, that we we open this book not to feed easy answers or to stuff any sort of pain that you might be carrying, but only to let you know that you're not alone, that your faith in God can sustain you, especially in the darkest of your days, especially when you don't have easy answers. And so before I pray, I want to just read this, this blessing. This comes from Kate Bowler, the author who I referenced earlier, who has been through some really hard things and wrote that great book. Um, she wrote this blessing. I want to say it over you as a church before we pray and wrap this up. Blessed are you who feel the wound of fresh loss or of the loss, no matter how fresh, that still makes your voice crack all these years later. You who are stuck in the impossibility, frozen in disbelief. How can this be? It wasn't supposed to be this way. Blessed are you fumbling around for answers or truths to make this go down easier, who demand answers or are dissatisfied with the shallow theology and trite platitudes. Blessed are we who instead demand a blessing because we have wrestled with God and we are here, wounded, broken, changed. Blessed are we who keep parenting, who keep marriages and friendships and jobs afloat. We stock the pantry because what choice do we have but to move forward with a life we didn't choose, with a loss we thought we couldn't live without. One small step, one small act of hope at a time. So Jesus, thank you for this word of scripture. We thank you for those that have listened today. We pray, God, that you would take them on a journey over these weeks ahead as we honestly look at your mystery and your goodness uh, right in the middle of our struggles. And God, we hope that we would name these two truths with authority and just with honesty that pain does happen in, in our humanity, but also, God, that you are good and you can be trusted. And we pray that this series would help build us up more and more as your disciples, as people trying to follow you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Um, we especially hope that you would be close to those that are low in spirit in this season. In your great name we pray. Amen. Let's continue with the psalm.